Hello and welcome to End Goals, an LCMS Youth Ministry Podcast. I'm host Reverend Mark Kiesling and I'm with DCE Juliana Schultz. And we are here to bring parents, church workers, and lay leaders discussions and resources to help your youth ministry meet its end goal, which is young people who are disciples of Jesus Christ for life. Today we discuss faith formation as part of a series exploring youth ministry topics covered in Connected for Life from Concordia Publishing House. One of the best things about youth ministry is the blessing of watching the Holy Spirit at work in the lives of young people and to see their faith in action. And many youth leaders are passionate about walking alongside young people as they deepen their relationship with God, but they can also feel maybe (laughs) ill-equipped to help young people uh, value their relationship with our God and His church. So to help that conversation, LCMS Youth Ministry coordinated with Concordia Publishing House to provide a resource that we called Connected for Life and a Essential Guide to Youth Ministry. This book is an effort to provide essays and resources for youth ministry practitioners and congregations of all shapes and sizes. Each chapter is, um, I guess it tackles a specific area of youth ministry, and we were blessed to have multiple authors that provided their insight on those topics. And in the book, you're going to find, uh, you're going to see a lot of these themes that we've been talking about in Seven Practices of Healthy Youth Ministry. And the book gets into some more foundational pieces about the practice of youth ministry and Christian education. So to start, uh, we're going to talk about some of the models and theories that help frame our work in passing on the Christian faith to young people. Um, It's one of those things where, as youth leaders, it's easy for us to kind of get caught up in the practicality of day-to-day ministry, of the logistics of planning the next event or finding the next Bible study. Um, And we don't often stop and take in maybe that that 10,000-foot view of faith formation and development. Uh, And talking about these models uh, helps us to see kind of this bigger picture of what uh, develops for adolescents in a variety of ways, particularly spiritually from uh, childhood into preteens, into teenager life, into young adult life, uh, as they grow and mature in faith and life. So helping us to take this big kind of picture view, uh, we invite back, you heard him when we talked about um, our research, he was a part of our research team for the 2017 Research of Millennials in the LCMS. Uh, Dave Reeder wrote two chapters in Connected for Life, uh, one of which is about faith formation in youth ministry. So uh, we're going to talk about that other chapter another time, but we are excited for Dave to join us. Uh, Dave's a DCE. He's currently serving at Our Savior Lutheran or in Liverpool. Moore, California. He's authored two books, Teaching the Faith in the Home and Called to Serve, both published by CPH. He also, like I said, served on our research team and was a co-author of Relationships Count. Uh, Dave, thanks so much for joining us. Glad to be here. Glad to come back. This is good. Hey, Dave. So we uh, got to discuss the research with you, and now we get to pick your brain about some different youth ministry topics. And today we're going to talk about... um, this term called faith formation that you might see in a lot of different contexts, whether it's for young people, maybe even down in the children's ministry, but also for adults as well. Um, And we put this topic very early in the book in order to kind of build a foundation on what the church does in youth ministry or ministry to young people. Um, We can probably name a number of scriptural or educational metaphors that describes the Christian walk and the development as one mature in ages. So as we talk about and use that term faith formation, specifically in young people, what are we talking about when we see that term or use that term? Okay, Mark, that's a great question. Um, I think I want to start with actually one of the metaphors, the way I started the the particular chapter we're talking about. 
uh, talking about Jeremiah 18 and talking about the idea of being clay in the potter's hands. Um, I don't know if you've ever worked with clay. I don't, I haven't done much of this in my life, but if you've seen somebody working with clay or if you're an artist and you've tried to work with this, uh, it's a medium that's not always the most cooperative and you keep needing to adjust and you're adding water and you're trying to get the clay into the right um, consistency in order for it to be shaped the way you as the artist want and desire for uh, that clay to be shaped into whatever it is that you're going to be creating. Uh, some of the time that means if you've ever seen somebody doing this, you get to a certain point and you say, well, that just went wrong. And you just crumple the whole thing up and you start over. This is a really rich metaphor. Uh, and I and I love how Jeremiah draws us in on this one, because when we talk about formation, it's talking about how God takes us. And some of the time there's a nice, smooth process and it looks beautiful. And then some of the time we as the clay get this idea in our heads that we know better and we resist or we fight back or what have you. And God has to get his hands in there a little bit more strongly and really reshape us. And, and when we're talking formation, I think the word is really apt for this because it is a forming of who we are in Christ. Um, some of the time there's some maybe discomfort or uh, a controversial nature to the, the use of the term formation. Uh, there is actually a branch, uh, a social science study of spiritual formation that is done from a purely social science standpoint. And if you read the literature, you get really weirdly uncomfortable because they do it in such a way that it is devoid of any actual religious content. And having read some of that research, having looked at books published in that vein, it, it gives you the willies at times. And you just kind of wait, how does this make sense? Well, they're asking questions from a purely social science standpoint. In the church, we're not asking the questions those ways. We're talking about how does faith form for good or for bad based on the way in which we interact with the word of God, how it is taught to us what the examples there are in our lives, and how all those influences around us shape us positively and negatively. You know, how your kindergarten Sunday school teacher taught you Bible stories has an impact on how, as an adult, you respond to other ways people teach. The Holy Spirit is a key element and the foundation of all of this. All these other factors are a piece of this. We're, the formation, we're talking sanctification here. This is a process in which it's ongoing. It doesn't end, but beginning at a foundational level, we have to begin from the youngest ages and work our way up. Yeah, as you mentioned, there's a ton of ways that we think about. If you look at the social sciences, you look at psychology, you look at uh, physiology, like all these different ways that we describe how young people grow um, and develop and how uh, we understand those pieces. Uh, and faith is is uh, the same way in terms of, like you said, formation, uh, how we're fed, how we're mature, how that grows, what impacts that, um, 
what teaching, what exposure, how the Holy Spirit works through uh, a person's life experience and their experience in the church uh, to to form a, their their faith and their discipleship. Uh, you write, faith formation takes place when the content of an individual believer's faith is lived out. Um, while we know that adults were all teenagers at one point, <laughs> uh, they are not teenagers today. And so while there's there's maybe some, some sympathy that they experience um, and that they understand what it's like to be a teenager, uh, they're definitely not teenagers in this moment in time. Um, so what are some ways uh, that high schoolers might be living out their faith, specifically ways that might be different uh, than their younger years or different than maybe what adults experienced when they were teenagers? Yeah, I mean, this is a great one. Um, I, I've got a preteen in my house, and he reminds me a lot of, yes, Dad, you were a teenager at one point, but not like I'm experiencing it. And, and he's right. I, yeah. That's always going to be a true response. Uh, there's going to be commonalities. There's going to be changes. I mean, it, emotional development is emotional development. Um, how we move from one stage in dealing with uh, our emotions to another. Um, those are going to be to some degree constants, but one of the reasons we're, you know, he, he's asked, you know, as every kid his age does, he wants a cell phone. I don't want him to have a cell phone yet. He's 12. He doesn't need a cell phone. Why do I say that? Um, there's an access to a whole world of pressure that I'm not convinced a 12-year-old is ready to handle. Um, nobody was even conceiving of this when I was 12, you know, because there was no such thing as a smartphone. Um, if you would have said smartphone to somebody when I was 12, they would have looked at you weird. They said, what does that even mean? Um, but to have a phone that is constantly trying to get your attention, uh, you know, we can get into the fun of app developers, uh, and how they actually structure apps in order to trigger dopamine in order to keep us addicted to responding to their apps for the purpose of selling product and ad placement and all these kind of fun other things. It, we can have, have that kind of side of things, but Social media has a shaping effect that none of, as parents, that was not something on our radar. That was not something we had to be concerned with. You know, we talk about, uh, you know, what FOMO, the fear of missing out, the idea that um, if I'm not paying attention, you know, you, you talk, you take a, you take teenagers on a mission trip and say, hey, you're not going to have cell phone access for a week, and you think the world has ended. Now, somewhere in the course of that week. They start figuring out that, you know, I can live. In fact, actually, ooh, this might actually feel good to not be under that pressure, but we forget those things. Mm -hmm. Because in the midst of it, we're concerned about, well, what's somebody saying and who's reacting to what? And you ever had a conversation with a teenager who posts something to Instagram and then takes it down within half an hour because it didn't get enough likes? You know, if I post something to Instagram and somebody likes it once, I'm like, oh, well, that's fantastic. Um, but there's an addictiveness to it that is, it's, it's totally unique. But at the same time, I say there's, there's the uniqueness, but there's still the commonality of here we are as human beings, the way God has created us, and we're still going through and asking some of the same foundational questions. Who am I? What is life all about? Is there a big picture to the world? How does the world work? Um, 
in, in a setting like this with, you know, in an election year asking questions about, you know, we had our 12-year-old sit down and, and watch the presidential debate. And he spent most of the time looking at this going, what is this? And I'm not sure I can answer that question. Um, but opening the door so that those questions can be asked. There's an interesting, um, just a little aside here, there's an interesting parallel. Um, preschoolers and teenagers ask the same question. Mm-hmm. The fundamental question of a, of a preschooler and a teenager is why. And they're doing it at a very different level, but they're after the same thing. The preschooler is exploring the world, touching and tasting and smelling everything. They're, they're trying to get a hold of, well, this bigger world, well, what is it? The teenager is doing the same thing in the abstract, and so they're asking a ton of questions. The big difference right now is we're pouring and funneling an enormous amount of information at them without much of a filter. Yeah, it's amazing because I think about how we um, we talk about young people and, and their technology today, and, and I think there is um, an interesting level of like judgment over what their behavior um, and what they can handle. And then in the same breath, you know, you tease like, have you ever talked to a young person who's taken down? I've done that. I'm a grown up. And I've taken down a post because I didn't, I didn't feel like the response was what I wanted it to be. Right. And so uh, that development piece, uh, recognizing that those young people are in a spot, a critical moment where they're developing certainly their understanding of the world around them. And how am I a part of that? And how is the technology that I use a part of that? And how I integrate into the world. Uh, but that doesn't just stop after you become an adult. Uh, that, that Those things are still forming and shaping us even today. Yeah, and I think appreciate how the conversation, I think that you go into the chapter too, about regardless of which theory you look at, there's that flexibility of, I think you, you put it kind of like when you learn things for the first time as a young child is that there are parts of us, whether it's socially, um, you know, sometimes even, you know, theologically as we're understanding things, we jump back and forth between, you know, different parts of our life because of the first time we were introduced to a topic or a question or how to deal with it. And it certainly takes us back. Um, we see the God who is faithful through all of it, but we see certainly how us in that formation side reacted to it maybe differently still have um, connection to that first time and, and how, like you said, David, it's a process. I think uh, from a sanctification standpoint, the Holy Spirit, Spirit continues to work through it and through us um, as we serve and, and, and figure this out in the light of God's word. So talk a little bit about models. There are a lot of models you could go into, especially as we start thinking about, you know, some of those that maybe talk more on the social science uh, side of it, educational that type of stuff. In the chapter, you focus on two um, Two theories of faith formation from a developmental perspective. We could get at multiple episodes just on those about the strengths and deficiencies that each one of them have, but not having that luxury. I would love for you to introduce those two theories and perhaps say a little bit about why they're so prominent and maybe or maybe why you chose those two for the chapter. And then also, what can youth ministry practitioners take away from those theories and models? The, the two that I went into in the chapter, and, and I, they were chosen for very different reasons. Uh, Fowler's uh, Seven Stages of Faith Development, uh, still over a few decades now, uh, within uh, development uh, developmental theory kind of areas, uh, is still kind of the go-to as a way of understanding faith development. Uh, no one has come up with another theory structured uh, that has received the same level of acceptance. So it's one of those things where you kind of have to go there um, yes, you can pick at Fowler and kind of say, you know, what does he mean by faith? And some of the time, if you dig into 
some of this stuff, it gets a little, you know, for an LCMS Lutheran, a little squishy and you're kind of going, what do you really mean here? Um, But that's a little bit of the social scientist coming in and which is, I think, to some degree fair. Um, what what he was after with this is, um, and, and that's why I framed it under the idea of the quest for meaning, and that's a, a subtitle of the book uh, for him. From a faith standpoint, you're seeking a meaning to life larger than yourself, and you're doing so within the context of your relationships to those around you and how those shape your faith. And so at the varying stages, you're encountering uh, a growing development of what it means to trust. And I think trust is kind of the foundational. Uh, and so I think an easy way to get your, get a kind of a handle on this is to look at a comparison between the way a child trusts a parent and how if that's handled and developed in a healthy way, that can provide a strength toward learning how to trust God as a heavenly father. You know, um, I can I can think back 20 plus years now to my internship as a DCE and having a conversation with, I think she might have been second grade girl, um, and we're doing a, a, a thing for kids church um, on Father's Day. And naive 22-year-old Dave uh, thinks, hey, all these kids are going to have a positive image of what it means to be father, and we can take that image and transfer it uh, to our Heavenly Father. And she let me know what her image of father was, and it was not pretty. And so there's an impact in, in, in looking at, you know, so if there are issues with trusting institutions, trusting the church, uh, institutions, that trust issue translates its way into how we understand and relate to our faith and how that develops. You know, can I trust my pastor when he teaches me? That's foundational. That's critical. And so Fowler gets into and explores the way in which, and he draws on other social science research in order to help unpack from a faith standpoint how it is we move from one stage to the next and ask bigger and bigger questions. Because a the, you know you get into confirmation, a junior high kid is going to ask a much more abstract question that six months prior might have been completely confusing to him. And so having some of that on the radar is really helpful when you ask a question. And this is the other fun part. You know, you get a, a room full of sixth graders together. Um, some of them will have developed abstract reasoning or be working on abstract reasoning. And some of them will look at you with this really squirrely look in your eyes. Like, what, what are you even talking about? Because they're not all at the same spot. It's the joy of teaching confirmation when everybody's at it as an age where they may or may not have developed a number of reasoning skills. <laughs> we love development at that point. I think you have to assume when you're teaching confirmation that it, you're in the Wild West and everything's crazy. And just go with it. And enjoy it for that, for what it is. Okay, so oh, switching fun, gears. But it's different. Oh, it, it's absolutely fun. I, it, it's tremendous fun. The other, the other theory that I, I selected is the reciprocating self. It is not nearly as well known uh, but is much newer research, uh, and I really appreciate uh, what the authors for this book did. I've actually heard one of them present some of this material, but the concept is that as we develop as human beings, everything is done within relationships. So Fowler may touch on this to some degree, but then they, you know, within the reciprocating self book. Uh, they really dig into how it is that 
how relationships shape us, how the way in which we interact with one another, our social circles. They unpack the various types of social circles that kids are a part of, you know, whether, you know, within the family, within their neighborhood and larger community, what is the, the church family like? Um, it's one of those interesting things with churches. Uh, there's a DNA to each place, and you come to a new church, you discover a new DNA. You you come in, and when you're new, you start asking questions. Hey, why do you do things the way you do? And they look at you funny. Well, that's that's the way we do them. That's isn't that isn't that normal? Everyone does them. You know, even the non-traditional church, they have their traditions. I'm sorry, they do. Every family is the same way, and it's within those social circles that we're formed and it's how we develop our worldview and our understanding of faith and how it relates to us. Do you get, are you, does your family encourage you to ask questions? Can you explore ideas or is that not kosher? You know, so kind of the reciprocating self, it's a lesser known, but I think it's a very helpful frame for, for kind of understanding all the various interactions that we have that, that form us and shape us. Well, I appreciate it with the Fowler piece. I think going back and using that word trust. And, and as we think about whether it's youth ministry or ministry to any young person, understand that is a key part of our interactions and teaching, um, especially when we think about, you know, trying to talk about this whole word of truth in today's world, um, truth of God's word uh, versus a lot of other voices that are out there and, and the importance to establish that in a loving way. Uh, but then also that trust within relationships, too. It's such a key thing. And, and I think, like you said, with your example from internship, is to understand what has shaped the young person that we're ministering to and to be sensitive to that and, and try to get to know them well enough to understand that baseline. Where are their trusts out of where are they going to have uh, maybe deficiencies and concerns there? And to respond to that in a loving way, um, not in a judgmental way, to understand that that's a key part of learning in that relationship building. And I, I love going back to again, the reciprocal self. Is it fits so much in with, relationships count. <laughs> and that importance of what we saw in our research, um, just of that importance, I think, in a mobile society and in fast-changing society, that the Holy Spirit uses those relationships in amazing ways, um, ways that are beyond our understanding and expectations sometimes, um, and really need to see another group check, uh, connecting with that. I think one of the interesting things about healthy youth ministry is we use it people kind of step into that space is uh, maybe you're trained in some of these things. Like I can remember learning Fowler when I was, <laughs> when I was going through school um, and having to, to learn those different stages and understand that concept. Um, or, or maybe there you're a lay leader, maybe doesn't have that kind of, that kind of knowledge, but even just a base understanding of, of what's going on developmentally, what kinds of questions they're asking, what are young people ready for, um, how can they process that information, how is that development happening for them, um, alongside those relationships, alongside, I think this is part of you know, what we talk about is kind of having those end goals in mind. So we have 40 end goals that we've said like, hey, at the end of this development process, when they're getting ready to maybe uh, leave the home, where do you want them to be at? All of those pieces come together in a way to help inform what you're doing on a Sunday morning, <laughs> on a Wednesday night, on a, right? Those things help us uh, to give clarity and purpose to the Bible study you pick or the games that you engage in or the conversations you ask, have or the questions that you ask in your home. Um, all of those things 
uh, are valuable for us as we are working with young people. I think the key with this is the intentionality. Uh, yeah. Do you have an intentionality to what you're doing? And I know sometimes week in and week out, the intentionality is I got to do something. But um, long term, long range, uh, you know, think in terms of you're, you're teaching the same person. Uh, you're, you're teaching a child that someone else has taught and, and looking at the whole system in which they fit. Um, another branch with us, you know, you're going to get into whole family systems theory and how do all the various pieces and systems fit and interact and shape who a young person is. And you don't have to be an expert, right? <laughs> you don't have to be a doctor uh, like Dr. Reader here to be able to do that. Like you, There are ways for you to learn the very basics of this very easily uh, to kind of help inform more deliberation on some of those things. Dave, you mentioned this a little bit in the article too, but maybe just say a little bit about those opportunities, maybe for people who are in different stages to come together and maybe what that means for your youth ministry or ministry to children in terms of um, we think about that opportunity, maybe invite young people into some leadership roles to teach others. Did you Have you seen anything in that or anything that you would say from a development perspective, how that can make a difference in the life of a young person? Oh, absolutely it does. I mean, um, I mean, obviously from the research we did, that, that, that's clearly pointing in that direction that a, that a young person having a connection point to, to, their, to lead. Um, uh, we also talked, uh, Fuller's research on growing young talks in terms of key chain leadership and how it's giving leadership to a young person that has substance, that it's not just a, hey, can you help me set up chairs? Well, that's great. Um, you know, probably every DCE has had the question on occasion, uh, can we get the youth to fill in the blank? I like to try to turn those back around and say, you know what, let me introduce you to some of the youth that I think would be great to work alongside you. Mm -hmm. And why are you shifting it that way? The, the, the purpose of this is I want you to have, as an adult, I want you to have a relationship with somebody so that when I, as a DCE, if I'm not here anymore, you still know the people you can go to, you know, the young person that you can have the conversation with, you know, them by name. I mean, that's unbelievably critical. Can you say somebody's name by name? I was uh, doing story time with uh, a TK class by video uh, the other week. And I've had some fun interactions uh, with this, this boy Cassius, but I didn't know his name. You know, we're helping out with drop off and, you know, welcome to the fun world of COVID. And I'm doing temperature checks every morning uh, and I'm having the, he is the, he is the greatest smile. He is so perky and whatever, but because I did the story time on the video, I get to see his name pop up. So I now know he's Cassius. Now my interactions with Cassius are different because I can greet him by name. And that says something to him about the value that he has, you know, and, and trying to encourage members of congregations, you know, hey, we want to have more young people in our congregation. We want them to be a part of things. Great. How many of them do you know? Helping them, helping an, an adult to get to know, can you have a fun, can you have a conversation? Uh, I, I tell too many stories, but I remember one from the first church I was serving in Huntington Beach, uh, and uh, a young man comes in and he's got a blue mohawk. And a little old lady comes over to sit with him. And I'm bracing for... How dare you come in here with that crazy haircut? No, she wants to know how he got it to stand up so straight. <laughs> it was just the most fun conversation. He's welcomed. He feels like a part of things. 
from somebody who on the surface has so little in common with him. It's being open to hear and to learn from one another. Uh, my, my boys love playing Minecraft and they tell me all sorts of things about Minecraft that will never make sense to me. But I sit and I listen and they want to show me the things that they're building and good, sit and listen. You know, one of the great things for a dad to learn how to do, and I would say dad specifically, dad doesn't, if dad can sit down on the floor with his kindergartner to play, you want to talk about building foundational trust? Mm-hmm. It's a tremendous way to do it. Yeah, well, again, well, we can continue to talk about this. I know a lot more, get into more models that are out there as well that can be helpful to understand our young people. I certainly want to thank you for taking the time to write that chapter about the developmental stages. This is just the tip of the iceberg. Um, and certainly I'm so thankful that we have classroom teachers and DCEs and others who have received formal training in these areas. But for people like me who haven't maybe been blessed with this level of training, what other books or resources would you recommend to learn more about stages of development in young people? First place I would go, uh, if you've not read the book Think Orange, just to get a good framework, uh, the way in which the church and the family can work together, that's an excellent one to piece in there. But I built off of what they did with that. Reggie Joyner and Kristen Ivey have written another book called uh, It's Just a Phase, So Don't Miss It. Uh, and this is their phases, their kind of their lay-level stages-oriented uh, kind of primer on how do you do faith talk with your kids as they grow. That would be a good one, like Sunday school teachers, what have you, that'd be a great one. Um, A good one to have or to be able to give out to parents, and I know Orange sells this uh, in bundles this way, but they have a whole series, uh, Parenting Your Blank, you know, Parenting Your Kindergarten, Parenting Your First Grader, Parenting Your Second Grader, all and through. You can sit down and read the thing in less than half an hour, or spend your time just really digging it. They're short little books, but it's an easy way to get your head around where where are they at in this moment? What are the likely spiritual questions that are bubbling up? Um, Tim Elmore is another good source for information uh, on things. He actually just put out a small book called The Pandemic Population, which I would recommend. Uh, it's a good one. It, takes a little bit of the stages kind of thing, but takes a lot of like generational research, uh, but then puts it in context of what have we been doing for the last six, seven months and how is this impacting kids? Because I think that's a whole other layer uh, that's involved here. Um, And then just, you know, the professional church worker, grab the reciprocating self. I'm just going to point you the the pro, you go to the pro book. Um, Yeah. Don't hand that off to your Sunday school teachers unless they're really wanting to dig deep. Those are just some thoughts. Great. Those are all really helpful. And we will link to some of those in uh, the information on the podcast. Uh, in the next episode, you're going to get to hear more from Dr. Reader as we discuss uh, the second chapter and move on to the kind of foundations of Christian education and its important role in faith formation. Uh, we treasure the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of young people in our congregation as they grow through different stages in life. And uh, it's humbling for us to maybe look back and see how God met us with the gospel during those different stages, see that in ourselves, um, and then to think about how uh, we see that going on in the lives of children or young people around us. Uh, it's a great joy to learn from adolescents as they take on new responsibilities and give insight into the ways uh, to, we can serve our neighbor and share the gospel. 
So a couple of questions for you as you think, how can you better understand developmental models and theories that help you prepare yourself to teach the faith and to interact with young people? How are parents in your congregation being resourced to think about these developmental attributes of their children? And how does reflecting on your own stage of development help you better understand and respond to the needs of young people under your care? We're going to continue to keep you in our prayers as you uh, work with young people in various developmental stages and as you investigate and think about from that 10,000 foot view how you can uh, best care for them, keeping these models and concepts in mind uh, as you uh, work with parents alongside you and other supportive adults uh, so that young people can learn from God's word about their Christian walk. We trust that the Holy Spirit works through that Christian formation process, as Dr. Reader said earlier. It's a sanctification piece uh, that continues to happen, and we hope uh, his chapter and some other models and concepts presented in the book can help inform your healthy youth ministry and your end goal of caring for disciples for life. End Goals Podcast is a production of LCMS Youth Ministry and KFUO Radio. Find out more about LCMS Youth Ministry to find links to resources mentioned, go to kfuo.org slash youthministry. Thank you for listening and caring for the young people of our church.